Oh, another classic by Trapped. That's Headstrong. What is up, Horn Dog Nation? It's Fart Dude from the Fart Dude and Horn Dog Show on 96.9 FM KFCK. Horn Dog is currently on assignment at Beaver College. Oh, yeah. Sitting so again today, we got Ninja Jerry. Jerry, what are you having the interns do today? Oh, uh, looks like our producer, Brenton the Bushmaster, is yeah, here yeah. with some of our security detail. What's Get out of here. Get out. Get out. Right. If I see you, you goddamn ape ever again, I'm going to shoot you. Brenton, why don't you have a seat and uh, let's talk sure. about it. You know, you schmucks you ruined my life. That idiot, Uncle Jerry, sliding the DMs on Twitter. He was asking... The, the hot young female co-eds of Horndog Nation had to show them photos of themselves. Well, that's not right. Yeah. They you ought know. to do that on Wacky Wednesdays. Ladies, send in your photos to the uh, email address. Shut on up. The... No. And all you two have been is a boil on my ass, and I just got one of you clowns out of here for good. If he comes back on this property, I'm going to get him with my Sig Sour. Why well, wouldn't know I have a bomb? <laughs> 48 minutes of dog barking. 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 Growl. Growl. 48 minutes of dog barking. 48 minutes of dog Fuck my my wonderful master shake work is just it's just all gone. Uh, all so this is uh forty minutes of dogs barking. <laughs> Welcome I'm, to the show, everybody. I'm Brian. This is my cohort, uh, Jason. Indeed, also known as what was it, Brenton the? Uh, <laughs> I'm, no, I'm Brenton the Bush. Brenton the Bushmaster, and yeah, was, your fart, your fart, dude. fart dude, yeah, or which whichever one wasn't at Beaver College, <laughs> looking for some of that Beaver knowledge. <laughs> And I so, guess that uh, would be why you'd go to Beaver College so, is for Beaver knowledge. Yeah. What we are referencing is is that the uh, one of the individuals of a local morning zoo here on one of five seven the point was uh, credibly uh, accused of going into young ladies' DMs and asking for inappropriate photos. Right. As a member of guys that look like that, I don't appreciate it. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, you're not really not doing any favors to the rest of us slobs out there. It was just like really upsetting in a lot of ways. Uh, I have Facebook friends and people I know that were like, yeah, no, he was total creep to me like at like an in-store or, you know, he slid into my DMs and it's like, you know. I remember the thing that kept coming up after all this was like, I feel sorry for his wife. And I'm like, oh, you didn't feel sorry before because, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because, um, I mean, it's really the Rizzuto show and Woody the Whipping Boy beforehand, who was another amazing troglodyte of uh, <sighs> early a or early FM radio, early morning FM radio. Everybody wants to be Howard Stern. That was the problem. Everybody uh, yeah, wanted to be Howard Stern. I remember, uh, one of those guys trying to get in a fight with me on Twitter because I had pink in my avatar. And I'm like, uh, dude, you literally like are like 
it's like proto proud boy shit to some extent like what that radio show is yeah like all those guys uh i mean everyone wants to play nice because that one guy died and i guess you know it sucks when anyone dies but like sure. he the larger thing that he was a part of and i think actually i ran about this before and i think you edited it out because i was like maybe this is i think we recorded it before he passed away <laughs> and so before jeff passed away and i always yeah. heard nice things about jeff so i mean but geez, just what what terrible company that he was in, yeah uh, i was gonna say he might have been it. a fine person but these other guys really come off really terribly especially yeah. this this gentleman here because when it's uh Plan on getting the nips out later, he texts this woman. God damn. What a awful way Terrible to solicit dudes. Yeah, it's a, well, no, this is like hours of texts in. Basically, like he, he would go like, oh, yeah, prepare to get the nips out. Then he would talk about how, you know, he's going to play with himself and all that. And like, Sucks. and apparently it was like from a business account, which is obviously the reason why you would wind up getting let go. Because if you're using like an official account from from a media group, that's what's going to get you. I know we're pretty crass on here, but <laughs> you know, uh, my girlfriend says, you, you do realize some of the things you say on there, right? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I know. But I find like what they do to be like despicable, even compared to what this is. Well, yeah, I mean, I feel like you kind of have to opt in for us. You know, you got you, you kind of know what you're going for. I tell anyone that I recommend the show to like be warned. We, you know, we have some colorful language. I think one of the things that, that really got me about this and we can move on from here was that I remember, uh, Weighing, start my shift at Guitar Center like about 10 years ago. And this was when I think Woody, but Woody, Rizzuto, Petrinko, all those guys were all sucking and fucking each other. Pachinko. I'm going to start calling him that now. Pachinko. I mean, doesn't... I don't know. Uh, Pachinko, I like, I have, I like Pachinko machines. Okay. All right. He's like kind of just a human waste. But um, <laughs> I remember waiting for my boss to show up because he was a key holder. And I'm listening to 105.7 The Point. And at the time, one of the hottest songs in the world was We Are Young by the band Fun. And that was very much so not the typical programming of 105.7 The Point, but it was such an undeniable hit right. for quote-unquote alternative radio that you kind of had to play it. It wasn't Seven Dust. It wasn't Breaking Benjamin. It wasn't Trapped. It wasn't It wasn't like, whatever band the other guy on the morning show is in. It wasn't fucking Blue October, fucking Snot Rocket music. You know, it wasn't the fucking knuckle dragger shit. And so he played that song. And I'm like, God, I fucking hate this song. But I'm like, just waiting for my boss to show up so I can start work. And song ends. And one of the guys is like, yeah, so we just uh, got on the texture. And wow, you guys are really hateful. And uh, a lot of language I've never seen here. But even though, like, it was like all these guys realizing that they have for the last couple, like, Woody had been on off the radio for the last 10 years. Yeah, yeah. Realized in that period of time, they have cultivated a demographic of angry, misogynoir, like just knuckle dragging, hateful, angry, like Oakley wearing backward baseball cap, <laughs> you know, fucking hate the Rams free kneeling ass motherfuckers. Yeah. And that now the chickens were coming home to roost that they had created these, these homophobic, Angry fuck, you know they have fucking shit on there. It was like drive-by whoring sponsored by a lo local mattress company. Yeah, based on a story that someone told about the girlfriend cheated on him, and so they would drive by her house and scream whore at her. And so they would say uh, listeners would write in their obviously fake stories about someone who cheated on them, and then give a name, and then they would play a sound effect of a car driving by, and it all everyone would pile in the studio and scream whore at the top of their lungs. Yeah, no, just. 
miserable We've shit. never done anything on this show like that. Let's just put that there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> we don't stuff kink that shame, makes, like, we don't slut shit shame. that makes the Grease Man look like fucking Andy Warhol. Fucking Grease Man. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, um, so what else is going on in the internet? Oh, hey, did you did you hear the another ro- restaurant closed down? You got to be more specific, brother. <laughs> I know, I know. Despite St. Louis having a the one of the few things I actually like about here is the food scene, but uh, a a well beloved uh, installation down there on Cherokee Whisk, oh, a sustainable yeah. bakery. Yeah. Uh, the the owner decided to just fire everyone and announce it on social media that she was closing. Fantastic. And uh, allegedly, I mean, I ain't trying right. to get sued here because I mean, not that I mean, listen, if your restaurant's going under and you don't like tell anyone this and you close right after the holidays, like you might be a little litigious. But you I was might. just thinking, like, you might well, also be broke, so it's about fifty-fifty. <laughs> I mean, there's being broken litigious sometimes is a deadly combination That's for fair. guys like me that just want to like fucking piss on your shoes. But you know what? With a name like that and a situation like that, maybe they sh- maybe she should have called it Whisk, an unsustainable bakery. No. Oh, 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 folks, I'm here all week. Oh. Try the fish and chicken. I'm tugging at my I'm tugging at my tie. My I'm little tie. Tugging, tugging on my nuts. Watch out. Uh, so, <laughs> no, I did not see the thing about the restaurant closing, but I did see the thing about the um, novelist faking her own death by suicide. Yeah. Susan Meachin, uh, indie romance author, October 2020, a Facebook post announced, allegedly written by her daughter, announced that she had uh, tragically died by suicide, basically suggesting that online bullies drove her to it. Long and story short, after all that, Monday, Meachin posted on her own account saying, hey, um, I'm back. <laughs> Amazing. You know what? <laughs> The love of literature can do anything. It really can. The full post is, I debated on how to do this a million times and still not sure if it's right or not. There's going to be tons of questions and a lot of people leaving the group, I'd guess. But my family did what they thought was best for me, and I can't fault them for it. I almost died again at my own hand, and they had to go through all that hell again. Returning to The Ward, which was the name of the Facebook group, doesn't mean much, but I am in a good place now, and I'm hoping to write again. Let the fun begin. Amazing. The first Amazing. comment is just, welcome back? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. <laughs> yeah, I thought you killed yourself two years ago. All right, well, I guess. Amazing. Fantastic. Yeah, so. Uh... <laughs> cyber. It turns out a lack of cyberbullying can also move mountains. It's just fascinating. Like, someone can build an entire online anything and and decide that they're going to quit it. And rather than just saying, hey, you know, writing's no more it's not fun for me i'm not enjoying this anymore i don't want to do this you create a fake suicide post allegedly written by your daughter who we come to find out never existed Mm. yeah so (laughs) that's a good old school airnet griff it's a classic boy i haven't thought of i I, I, I read a little bit about this uh because i guess like People started buying her books and encrypting, contributing to the GoFundMe and all that. Yeah, and I guess I guess it was like, oh well, I guess you really liked me, so I guess what I I dusted <laughs> off the dirt and um I decided to keep on living. Just insane. Uh, <laughs> human failure. Elon Musk continues to do the thing he does, but 
two things were announced about the Cybertruck this week. Cybertruck, of course, the car that looks like it's straight out of Vigilante 8 for the PlayStation 1, or a failed Twisted Metal sequel. Oh, I want another Twisted Metal. I don't want it to look like that. I do not want it to look like that. So Cybertruck, (laughs) one of the marketing materials came out this week, and it says, Rugged Strength. With the ability to pull near infinite mass and a towing capacity of over 14,000 pounds. Infinite mass? Yeah. You you, you got a black hole in that motherfucker? What's going Um, on? (laughs) Someone I follow on Twitter, Calvano, he made a point that, like, you know, like a high end F 150 can barely pull like 1,400 on a good day. Yeah, 14,000 pounds. Yeah. Yeah, 14,000. And it's like a unibody. It's a unibody design there on the Cybertruck, as he put it. You know, that's just going to put all kinds of tension and and, and pull and, and torsion, I think might be the word. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just seems like, a, 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 I mean, I don't think this thing's ever coming out. No. Um, but it's just like another layer of bullshit on bullshit. Um, the fucking, I guess, one of the prototypes that everyone's been posting photos <laughs> of, they're like, oh, the future is here. And it's like, it looks like something you could... It, it, that doesn't even have proper airflow in the cabin. Like you would just be fucking suffocated. <laughs> um, you know, it apparently has like a granite slab, you know, to crack your head open as I believe one Twitter described as a ostrich egg. Yeah. 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 Any collision. Uh, I've been going in on the Cybertruck for a while. I, I'm still trying to, to find the, the exact burns that I made for it. But yeah, like uh, I think one of the things I said was, you know, it looks like if, if somebody had Stevie wonder design a car, uh, or like, you know, uh, this is a really elaborate Make-A-Wish Foundation thing uh, come to life. Yeah, just... yeah, it's 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 dog shit. It's and I love all weird, artsy, farsy, conceptual stuff, but it's just... Remember, remember when it was debuted and fucking Grimes was like the AI girl, and then, <laughs> then someone, I think, was it Elon Musk, threw like a, a Mel orb <laughs> at the window? And, and it, it shattered. shattered. <laughs> This supposedly unbreakable window that then I mean, just... technically it didn't break, but what we yeah. were expecting to see was like a bounce off with like maybe some surface marks. We didn't yeah. expect like it to shatter through the safety glass like that. A late contender, one that I completely missed when it was first out, something that took place over the holidays. Uh, at System Sunday, a guy who calls himself Ben Muir, he posted this, Life dinner, why? Life dinner is a scheduled time to check in with your significant other. It's like agile planning with your most important client. The process builds intimacy, trust, and accountability. With a U.S. divorce rate at 50%, we need new strategies like life dinner. And my response was, of course, local man invents date night with your wife. <laughs> yeah. They, life they've, gone, they've gone beyond reinventing the bus right. and train. <laughs> right. and now they're reinventing date wife night. time, yeah. being a wife guy. <laughs> More like wife dinner. Come on, dude. It was oh, right there. Man, I it was right I'm, there. I'm, 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 I'm just, <laughs> just thinking about how lonely this guy must be. I mean, just and like his whole thing is like, oh, we got to save people from divorce. Buddy, worry about your own marriage. I'm not worried. <laughs> worry about your own damn self. Get off my fucking lawn. Oh, um, so you sent me something, and I'm still trying to, to, to figure out what the hell it meant about gentrifying the noise table. You got to... You gotta walk me through this because I don't know what this means. So yeah, the the post is uh, at Lamim Young, uh, goes by Professor Shitlord Emeritus <laughs> Max Alper. Ain't no fucking way. Teenage engineering gentrified the noise table. 
What does that mean? So Teenage Engineering is a, I guess they're like Finnish, Scandinavian design house who make some weird musical stuff and most importantly are known for just making shit that's way too fucking expensive. Most people have like a little pocket operator then which is like a little calculator thing that makes beeps and boops some are samplers some sound like old 8-bit arcade machines and things like that i have like three or four they're kind of neat. i have one that sounds like office stuff okay it's really like you know it sounds like a hard drive skipping oh wow or, or like a, a fax machine or something like that like it's, it's, it's all neat uh, but those are relatively inexpensive but on the other end you have like the limited edition stuff where it's just like it's an eight hundred dollar boombox that has like a weird thing where you can like it has like a sampler built in so you can do like weird warping like you were a DJ but you're listening to the radio. That's how I understand it because okay. I'm never gonna be able to afford it. Right. I grew. I went to a high school that most likely had nuclear uh, material on its football field. So that's just not in the cards for me. Right. Not on. The, yeah. Not on the table. Um, for but you. so recently. Teen Engineering came in the crosshairs of a lot of people in the music world because they released an update to their OP1 portable synthesizer called the OP1 Field. And the OP1 was an albeit very overpriced but very neat piece of musical equipment. I had one for a while. They discontinued them in the last year or so. And the issue was that they were charging like 500 bucks more than they were priced at release. And we're, I think one point, like the only big update they did was like improve the LED display, <laughs> which is nice. I mean, sure. Sure. But, yeah. but they were still running on really outdated, like shark processors and stuff like that. And I found with mine that as cool as it was, it did not have enough memory for like having a meaningful amount of like high quality samples and mm. things like, so it was like really like, it was cool. Like the sequences were neat, like uh, sequencers are really cool and all that, but it just like it felt really long in the tooth for something I paid like a thousand bucks for. And so I sold it at a profit during the pandemic and the guy got really mad and left me a bad review on Reaver because I didn't put the branded USB mini cable in there. What some people, man, everyone's out there dying and you're mad that you didn't get like a, 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 a tchotchke tchotchke yeah <laughs> and, so, and i gave him like a free case and shit anyways yeah fuck man bad beggars. reviewers out there beggars just... cannot be choosers sure. oh, yes they can yes they yes. can and they so will so they released a new version of the op1 called the op1 field that was priced at two thousand dollars which is fucking ridiculous and they even had this ad campaign about like the hundred reasons why or ways why the OP one field is better than the predecessor. And it's all just fucking marking hype. And um, the OP one field from the people that have taken the dive or have been loaned one by T engineering. are like, Oh, it's yeah, it's really cool, but it's, is it $2,000 cool? No, not really. Right. So going in line with this logic here that I've laid out laboriously, Someone has posted this very fancy minimalist table that is priced at something like 1,699 pounds or something like that. And the joke is, is that Teenage Engineering has gentrified the noise table. The joke is in a noise table, you go to an experimental music thing. There's like a fucking card table uh, or, or something that's like, you know, the white plastic with the black legs. Yeah. And so now here's your fancy like Scandinavian art house design, <laughs> okay. you know, table. All right. So you can put your your fucking circuit bent speaking spell and your tickle me Elmo that says slurs <laughs> and it's also a theremin and all of your fucking fucking 
edgy like 2003 like noise artist hokum uh your shitty digitech delay pedal that just sent to self oscillate you know all of that crap um so there's that that's that was the the long joke of it um but here's the thing i don't know if that's real sure i i i don't know if it's it is entirely possible that it's real i sent it to my brother yeah and he was like He's like the only thing that keeps him from believing that it's real is it doesn't have like some gaudy like six hundred dollar attachment like a <laughs> like a secondary shelf where you can put your other overpriced right. teenage engineering shit on it. <laughs> like they release like these like dozen little tchotchkes that like are they make they're like little sound synthesizers and they're yeah. called a choir. And okay. it, it seems it really does seem like for someone that has turf bangs and wears like baggy like Bushido warrior inspired joggers. You know, like the phrase alone got stuck in my brain, though. Teenage engineering gentrified the noise table is like a is like a, move over for sale. Baby shoes never worn. Teenage engineering gentrified the noise table. <laughs> yeah. God, what what a beautiful brain you have. Teenage engineering gentrified the noise table. It's like, uh, yeah, it's just going to get <laughs> lodged in there. And I'm going to say it at dinner. And no one is going to know what I mean. I'm going to have to sit here and like. Is, is, is this your lard room? <laughs> <laughs> this is my lard room. This is my, if it weren't for that horse, I would have had that semester in college. It's just going to come out of me at some point. What does the baby do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, the, the baby at the zoo. <laughs> is that Brian Regan? What's the baby do? Because he does the. <laughs> that's just, that's just some comedian that had a uh, Comedy Central special. Yeah, I think that's. I, I think it's just it's... like a white guy with spiky hair. That's Brian Regan. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, because he also does the uh, I hate one uppers in conversation, and because yeah. his special was called I I was I walked on the moon. Oh yeah, <laughs> like yeah, go to a dinner party with Neil Armstrong. He's oh, gonna yeah. want. He's gonna Neil Armstrong. Up. Yeah, I uh, I kissed a girl once, like the real kind of like oh yeah, Dane Cook shit. I walked on the moon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so every once in a while, when somebody's like just so full of themselves and like talking at me in my mind is brian regan going i walked on the moon uh so if you ever wonder what that faraway look is if i'm cornered by someone at a gathering or something it's i'm going over i walked on the moon (laughs) in my head amazing so teenage engineering gentrified the noise table all right well now i have answers that's nice to know i'm glad i let that fester in your brain for like a day yeah because you you posted that with no explanation like we need to talk about this. Yeah, we're just like this is really important, and, and I'm, I'm so I'm stewing on it. So what does this mean? I'm I'm uh, Dreyfus in fucking Close Encounters. I'm sitting there going, what does it mean? You know, tearing my what little hair I have left out. You know, trying to figure out what teenage engineering uh, gentrified the noise table. Made. Mashed potatoes and, the, and <laughs> yeah. mashed potatoes in the shape of a ketamine tab or whatever. <laughs> does ketamine come in tabs? I don't know. I have no. That clue. is the one drug yeah. that never ended up around me okay my brain can settle down now just in time to hit be hit with more psychic damage we talked about andrew tate on last week's episode that's right folks at cobra tate underscore nft hashtag andrew tate nft mint is live the matrix sent their agents we are sending ours only 500 nfts are available to be minted each nft contains a secret that will expose the elite so they're doing QAnon. But with Andrew Tate, who was actually arrested for sex trafficking. <laughs> this is really uh, mean of me to say, but I was listening to something, maybe it was Minion Death Cult, and they were like playing some Andrew Tate 
clips. I never really heard his voice before. I did not watch that video. He said the Greta Thunberg. Oh, yeah. Because okay. I don't need that in my life. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't realize that he sounded like, what if you programmed an AI to sound like a deaf guy who never heard a word but thought what British people should sound like? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying try, Yeah, would yeah the the pronunciation like if you talk to someone that has like has had hearing damage like from like birth there's a certain way to pronounce their vowels like they kind of elongate things in a way yeah if you've you've ever heard marley matlin in a show or something like yeah it sounds very particular yeah she has a a little bit marble mouth yeah which is which is not to make fun of anyone that has that sort of uh, no it's just speech impairment but it's really just like andrew tate you're a shit bird yeah, you're like you're like you, you. What is your fucking deal other than like smoking we cigars have our, and calling himself top G and apparently trafficking women? So I don't know trafficking women in the easiest country to do it again. No respect <laughs> for that. No respect for that game. No respect for that game. Clown, clown, clown. Time. You know what's really easy to go New Orleans and find good like Cajun food, good find good po' sure, boy. Sure. You know what's really hard to find like pizza. in New Orleans, good pizza. You know what? I know how to find good pizza. Right. In New Orleans. I'm not going to tell you what it's called. Okay. I'm not going to expose myself. Oh, man. Last time I was in New Orleans, I took my friends there, and they were like, why would we, why would we have pizza in New Orleans? I'm like... That's fair. It's a fair question. It's a fair question. I'm like, because it's really fucking good pizza. And I took them there, and they were like, oh, holy shit. And I go, yeah, this is like better than pizza I've gotten most other places that are supposed to be good for pizza. And it's just a random little hole-in-the-wall place down by the fucking... By Euclid Records. I'll give you that much. Okay. I okay. think it's in the fourth ward, technically. Okay. Right there by Euclid Records. Okay. Uh, by the bridge and uh, the the footbridge, mm-hmm. uh, by by the amphitheaters. Uh, if you can't find it from there, uh, I don't know. Go eat a fucking ask uh, a local. I guess ask a local. Yeah. yeah, where can I find good pizza in New Orleans? Yeah, and they'll laugh at you. And and, and... people people in New Orleans are really <laughs> really nice, unless they're trying yeah. to griff you. Right. And then at the same time, they're still really nice about. It. Like I've had people in New Orleans try and like run like a fucking game on me, and I'm just like, man. I'm I'm good. And they're like, oh, okay. Well, you have a nice day. I'm like, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. Like, like, I knew this guy was trying to take my fucking shoes off my feet. And I said no. And he was like, all right. All right. I respect <laughs> I respect you, you declining my grift. <laughs> have I'm a nice gonna day. I'm going to go for yeah. the next person I think's a tourist. Yep. You're listening to 48 Minutes of Dogs Barking, the podcast. And now it's time for the Crypto Scam of the Week. So speaking of one NFT scam, that is not scam of the week. That's just an upcoming scam like we did last week. But no, the NFT, uh, the, the uh, crypto scam of the week, I should say, is NFT related. It is, of course, Mutant Ape Planet charged with a $2.9 million rug pull. Now, the SBF shit has thrown these numbers off because $2.9 million used to be, you go, holy shit, that's a yeah. lot of money. I think $30 million, like, a year and a half ago was like fucking crazy. Yeah. So uh, per our good friends at uh, Web3 is going great. The U.S. Attorney's Office of the Eastern District of New York announced fraud charges against Aurelaine Michel, a 24-year-old French national living in Dubai. Michel, under the alias James. You have a kick-ass name like Aurelaine Michel. Why the hell would you go under James? Anyway, had <laughs> created an NFT project called Mutant Ape Planet, minted in February of last year. Collected 2.9 million, had an extensive roadmap, raw, you know, all the shit. Community raffles, there was you know a, a staking features, metaverse land, all the usual suspects almost. Like you, yeah. anytime you see these things, you're like, eh, red flag, you know. 
Of course, none of it came to be. Uh, <laughs> Michael said in his defense, quote, that he never intended to rug, but the community went way too toxic. Oh, the classic blame the community for you taking their money. You love to see it, folks. Yeah, and this was, uh, I think there was supposed to be like a fighting game or something <laughs> attached to this. This was like i like o- two Octobers ago. Mm. This was kind of like on everyone's fucking lips, you know, as far as like, did you see this? This is fucking crazy. Right. And uh, it was fucking crazy. Yeah. Well, it but, is uh, crazy does, to does put d- your faith in that. Does uh, Dubai have an extradition? Hmm. Good question. Because uh, I don't France know. doesn't. He could just hop back home and just chill out with his ill-gotten gains. Entirely possible. Yeah, I don't. I don't really know how that works. Um, it may be because it's international fraud. I don't know. Uh, I would have to. I have to do a little bit more research on that. Huh. Good question. Yeah, you might. You may be right. He they may just they be... might just be just shaking their finger at him very sternly. <laughs> you did a. Bad thing, Mr. <laughs> Frenchman living in Dubai. Yeah. And the worst thing and the worst thing is you living in Dubai is not the worst thing you've done. <laughs> yeah, one it carries its own weight of, you know, various problems, but yeah, that's that's not the worst thing. Uh so yes, uh, that that's uh that's going to be an interesting thing cuz like obviously it was meant to uh, emulate yuga labs and try to be like mutant uh mutant ape yacht club which is different it is not a yuga labs thing so mutant ape yacht club and mutant ape planet this one mutant ape planet was just a knockoff yeah so like because sure why not um yeah what the hell just all that like fucking procedurally generated art shit from a year and a half ago it just looks like shit yeah it's it's (laughs) yeah i would I would understand at least at a certain point owning the art if the art was good or interesting in some way, shape, or form. But this, I'm looking at this image here, Mutant 8 Planet number 4076. It's a pile of green shit. Looks like a rejected Rick and Morty sketch. It's just yeah, terrible. No, it's, it's, uh, I, think, I think we had the discussion about this before off mic, but I think the only NFT project I've seen that actually has art that isn't like dog shit is like Oni Labs. Right, because that's professionally, even if it was procedurally generated, it had a much more concise and consistent art style, had much better art direction. Yes. I'm not saying like you should go buy a fucking Oni Labs yeah, NFT. Not financial advice. Yeah, not, NFA right here. But like if you go look at the project, you can go like, oh, at least they fucking tried. They actually put like a real fucking honest effort into at least the artwork side of things. I don't know about anything else, right? But at least the thing that like people are the the visuals, the aesthetic, like it's all consistent. It works. Well, like ostensibly, what you're buying is the art, right? Yeah. In principle, anyway. There's, there's just so much fucking stuff in the NFT space where like, oh, you know, shit that's got fucking ten Ethereum floor <laughs> still, even if in this fucking market. And you're like, this sucks. Yeah. It looks bad. Yeah. It looks like it, it literally looks like something I wrote on my notebook <laughs> in like fifth grade. I should dig up some of those fifth grade notebooks. I could probably make a make a killing on this shit. Like just <laughs> fucking okay, this is what you want, huh? Okay. All right. So you guys want? <laughs> yeah. There's just it's just some It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. All Brian. the things that are miserable and embarrassing about the crypto space, the NFT space is a is a particular kind of desperate quiet sadness it is really sweaty isn't it it's it is definitely... a sweaty ass echo chamber and it smells like a deli burp 
<laughs> I'm thinking like it smells like a dorm room. It's been closed. The door's been closed for too long, and the windows don't open. You ever, yeah. you ever work with a guy who smelled like a limestone basement? Oh, like that kind of that kind of cold mildewy scent. I think I used to be that guy because I lived in a basement apartment, so I I've been there. Mm-hmm. I'm sure people who worked with me previously have been. That was years ago. Miss, Mr. Limestone Basement. See, my, my mind immediately started singing Rhinestone Cowboy. <laughs> limestone Basement. Like a limestone basement. <laughs> oh, boy. Raised on shitty 70s a.m. sharp mildew scent. Yeah. Just it smells like it was wet once, but Ugh, it isn't I, right now. Yeah, I've had I've had loads of laundry that have come out like that. God, yeah, so you let it set too long. Yeah, you, you let it, it sit too long before you put it in the dryer. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, you son of a bitch, you can't even do fucking laundry uh, right. Get the fuck out! <laughs> it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. <laughs> uh, tone. This guy can't do. I, I, I'm <laughs> imagining a Sopranos character whose whose one character flaw is he can't do laundry properly, <laughs> and so he walks into every meeting. What if that? What if instead of Junior not eating pussy, he can't do laundry right? I heard that uh, Junior he smells like a, a locker room after a football on Sunday. <laughs> you know, like whatever the fucking. Okay. Uh, so, uh, for the folks at home, um, I've never watched an entire episode of The Sopranos, but. Like five or six years ago, Jason invited me to a Facebook group called Sopranos <laughs> Duck Posting, which was at the time, I think, like one of two premier <laughs> Sopranos shit po- posting groups. Fantastic. On. Yeah. And so uh, most of my understanding of Sopranos is from fucking shitlord memes. A- osmosis. It's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. I don't I don't understand. It, it was just it was just one of the greatest flexes because I don't think you ever said anything to me about it. Nope. You just like one day, <laughs> one day. You have been invited to join Sopranos Duck Posting by Jason. And I was like, sure, whatever. And you never brought it up. <laughs> nope. It was just like this quiet thing. <laughs> and then one day I just made like a tweet about it. And you're like, oh, you should have told me if you've never seen Sopranos. I was like, I just wanted to go with the bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's great. It was the long game because it paid off five years later. Here we are on the show. So. <laughs> uh, but uh, it just yeah, members really... only can eat shit. Sopranos duck posting forever. Yeah, fuck members only. Come on, uh, anyway. <laughs> come on. Are you kidding me? Anyway, uh, Facebook Facebook groups about shit posting are fucking serious, man. They will go to war on. Dude, that. I, I think I'm still like banned from all of like the fucking K E W L cool kids <laughs> groups because of like something that was written about me on Tumblr once. Yeah. Like, but, it, is, it is the most insane bullshit. But, but they will go to war over the dumbest shit. Like, um, there's two or three. There's a From Software shitposting group, and then there's an Elden Ring shitposting group. And, and they're, like, constantly battling with each other. And then there's, like, 16 different 4chan shitposting groups, and they all talk shit on each other. It's the there's best. there's, like, the 9gag and like, yeah, 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 there is, yeah. The Nine Joker's gaggers. trick shit posting. Oh, I Leo, love the Joker's uh, trick shit. Ed Zitron was a big collector of those on Instagram. Boy, <laughs> he would just go to these like poorly translated Joker meme groups, and he would just start posting them like every couple hours. He would just be sitting at his desk. He'd be working, but then he'd like tab over <laughs> to this like Indian. Shit posting group for like Joker memes, and he would just grab one and put they're it on amazing. Twitter. Yeah, there's some of them. It's bad because it's you know it's translated twice, right? And then you got like a weird like somebody hand drew an image of Heath Ledger 
smoking a cigarette as the Joker. And then it's like, you know, if you're spelled incorrectly, obviously, if you're a dog, don't be a, a bitch, but bitch is spelled wrong. You know, just <laughs> they're supposed to be sounding tough, but they're just unintelligible at a certain point. It's great. I love it. Yeah, that's um, amazing. All the shit posting groups on Facebook. Chime in on what your favorite uh, Facebook shit posting group is for eight minutes of dogs barking at gmail.com. That was a nice uh, way to get the, the email in there. So, Brian, your time to shine, because normally I bring the subjects in, or at least we bring them in together, and I have like a, a, well, a, a somewhat relatively knowledgeable about the subject at hand. But in this one, I got to admit, I completely missed it. It was not my scene. I don't know why, because it does sound like the kind of shit I would like. But anyway, the, the page was called Buddy Head. Buddy Head was an indie label based in Los Angeles that was active from about, I, th- I want to say like 97 till about like 2015-ish. Yeah, nine, 98. Yeah, you're, you're, you're yeah. getting there. So Buddy Head was mostly run by uh, Travis Keller, who was a music writer, indie label co-owner. He did some PR work. Really actually talented music photographer of his era. Very underrated. He does a lot of his visual work under the moniker American Primo and has a couple zines out of his uh, photo work. And then one of the other, I think there was three individuals. The third individual, I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but the other individual was Aaron North, a.k.a. Aaron Icarus of the Icarus line. Yeah. And what most people remember Buddyhead for is the gossip page, which was this really relentless, mean, cynical, but incredibly fucking truthful and funny take on music journalism. They would do things like, hey, here's one of the Olsen twins phone numbers. Yeah. Give her a call and find out if she's the one that's on Coke. Or uh, Tara Reed's phone number was the one I heard about. Yes, Tara Reed. I think they harassed Courtney Love or gave out her phone number to the extent <laughs> that she made a deal with them. If they left her alone for a year, she would pay their rent for their <laughs> office space for uh, like 12 months. Trolling Courtney Love into doing something nice for you. Isn't that great? Isn't it great? They are, I think, most infamous outside of like the internet people for spray painting sucking dicks. On the Strokes tour bus in 2001 or 2002. And the dicks had a dollar sign in it, didn't it? Uh, no, uh, sucking and oh. the, 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 the S's at the beginning and the end of the phrase were dollar signs, yes. And I'm really sorry to say Travis Keller did not get the greatest photos of it, but you can get, a, I believe, a mug with those photos. <laughs> um, I, I think that's one of my little favorite things. But um, I, I think I called one of the dudes from the Backstreet Boys or in sync. I think that was the only time I ever was, I, I checked the gossip page and it was accurate or it was <laughs> like a, a phone number was still live. I think it was like AJ or something. Oh, man. I wasn't going to say anything mean. I just want to be mm. like, Hey, uh, how's this going for you? <laughs> so Buddyhead was known for the gossip page, which going through, which is part of why I haven't, I did not pick the gossip page for this is because boy, oh boy, has yeah. a lot of it not aged well. It's still pretty yeah. fucking funny, but I mean, a lot of the things that we have talked about on this podcast have not aged well, but sure. it might be one of the blackest eyes. Yeah. Well, I mean... No pun intended. Yeah. One of the things, going through some research, I found some prank calls from the Buddyhead Suicide compilation. Apparently, they made prank calls to people like the Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's manager. I could hook you up with the Fisher Spooner guys, you know? 
They'll fish around and spoon something out once they get yeah, through yeah. the mesh stockings. All right, you know. Um. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> the publicist for the strokes. Also they, amazing. Yeah, so, I mean, they, they, they had some, yeah, they had an ability to, like, get a hold of people and really piss them off, which is a rare commodity. Because I always feel like in music journalism, especially these days, access is the big thing and you don't want to piss well, yeah. people off. Well, why do you think I'm not anymore? No, no, no. So, um, <laughs> so and we'll, we'll circle around back to this. Buddyhead is probably, as far as, like, my writing and interpretation of music and how I write, probably up there with... This is so fucking weird to say. Probably up there with Samuel Beckett and Akewood as far as influence. Okay, I think a lot. I think you know. I was born a hater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was born in a vat of Swedish meatballs, and was just just a mean motherfucker. And so I remember actually sharing an elevator ride with local music producer Ryan Wasoba when I was doing a photo shoot for Undercover Weekend. I think it was Foxing. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about music journalism. And he's like, I said, you know, I think people, they think I'm this big asshole. In a way, yes, I am a prick. But I, I think there's a, a level of media literacy that's not being accomplished here when people perceive the work that I do and the stuff that I write and what I say about music, local or otherwise. Because I don't think they ever read Buddyhead and the world's fucking poor for it. And he was like... Yeah, no, yep, I yep. totally get it. Yeah. And I was like, that was the only time I ever had a conversation where they're like, oh, yeah, but no, what you're doing, yeah, I get it. No, it's, yo, yeah, you're, you're yeah. carrying the fucking torch. <laughs> if you put it in that frame, it definitely does make a lot of sense. But, like, the fact that Buddy Head itself started with Icarus Line, which is a, a, a band that I enjoyed, so I, I still am like, wow, how did I not, you know, how was I so out of the loop on this? Because I was big and, you know, I I've, I've, have been giving the middle finger to Pitchfork since its founding. It is kind of the anti-Pitchfork in a lot of ways. Their, Which would be really review- refreshing had I discovered it way earlier. <laughs> their, I, 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 Pitchfork, I mean, yeah, I, Pitchfork is another thing. That's We can talk about that another uh, yeah, day. That, that. But, um, yeah, I, well, I always loved, like, you know, I did not have the internet at home uh, when I was younger. I would go over to my dad's on the weekends and he would have it. And like reading Buddyhead and there being like a new slew of album reviews or a new edition of gossip it was like fucking Christmas. And like Monday we'd be talking about it like before class at school or like during lunch. Like, oh, you see the fucking new gossip, dude? <clears throat> fucking Buddyhead's so fucking sick. And like their album review, their uh, score chart was not value based necessarily. It was different foes of Duff McCracken from Guns N' Roses skateboarding. <laughs> <laughs> I think there was an Axel review scale at some point. Yeah. But I think outside of the really entertaining reviews and the gossip page, I think what Buddy has most remembered for is probably the best and worst of list. Yes. You, you've sent me a, a couple of these, and they are definitely fun reading. Um, looking at the one from 2004, uh, we've gotten a bad rap here at The Head. A lot of people seem to think that we solely mingle with the dark side of the force and that only negative thoughts escape our mouths and minds. If you find yourself as one of these naysayers, all caps, you are not paying attention. And so they, yeah, these best of records, it's really interesting because they chose some ones, 2004, that I probably would have done too. Here's a, a brief synopsis from the Elliot Smith From a Basement on a Hill, which was the posthumous record. Uh, No metaphors here. Life is fucked, and so are you. (laughs) (laughs) They were brutally honest with their love and their condemnation, which I thought was an interesting choice. You know, like, you can be both. Yeah. Because it's one thing to be purely negative. And that's one thing that, like, I I worked with some editors before who were like, well, you know, if it's a negative review, try to soften it a bit. And, like, 
I never felt right about that. No. I never really felt like that was a way to be honest. There's a falseness. And I'm going to take this back to that a bunch of times because in my mind it's all connected. But like access. Because these guys, some of these guys, especially editors, are really worried about access. Oh, you talked shit on X record. Well, we're not going to give you comps to go see Y show. You know what I mean? Like, So they're real worried about that type of thing. I mean, even Pitchfork used to be much more mean-spirited. I remember when the Black Kids came out, they they gave that record like a zero. There was that one Jet record where the review <laughs> was just handmade gif. Of a monkey pissing and in his own mouth. And then they reviewed it, and they gave it like an eight. Yeah. Which is fucking amazing. And I liked music That's... journalism when it was more contrarian sometimes or a little bit more aggressive. Honestly, Wasn't just more honest. Yeah. Because it's all fucking ass history. Yeah. Just be real. Like, even Paul Westerberg album for the 2004 Best Of made the list, but they say, quote, honestly, this one wasn't that amazing, but Homeboy sang for the fucking replacements, so he makes it on the list automatically. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Honesty. You know? Fuck it. Like, just be honest with it. Because I read some of these reviews nowadays, even at Pitchfork or AV Club or wherever, and I'm like, did you actually like the record or are you just talking out of your ass like there's just a it feels so phony i would have eat this shit up had i known oh i love that dude i mean it was the fucking gospel right Right. it really was it really was when i was in high school buddyhead was the fucking gospel i'm i'm sure if you if you were reading the best ofs you probably heard a little bit of my voice in some of that oh yeah because it affected the way i spoke this weird sarcastic but brutally honest, like surfer talk almost. <laughs> There's a cutting kind of way that they're they're talking shit, but also saying something that's true. Yeah, which I think is that's absolutely your voice. Like here's from the 2009 best of. Here's a here's a line that stuck out to me. You won't find us inserting our white cracker feet in our mouths over who's the best rapper or giving a flying fuck about DJ culture like who's the best remixer like Spin, Rolling Stone, and, quote, the blogs are trying to these days. We'd rather review potato chips, folks. (laughs) (laughs) It's honest. Like, you guys want to fucking talk about rock music. It's great. Do it. They they very rarely went into, like, hip-hop or pop. And when they did go into hip hop or pop, it was usually like because like someone was showing their ass in a way that was at the time just so ridiculous, right? Because it because it made... like feel these dreams. <laughs> I think made one of the made one of the worst of records. Yeah. Oh, so you you mentioned earlier the Axl Rose musical terror alert system. Well, this is how they reviewed records, and on the sidebar of the best and worst of two thousand nine, here it is. Let's see here. Bass drum of death, young prose single. They rated as killer, and that's that is a fucking great record. Let's see here, we've got um, they were right, yeah. Southern culture on the skids, the Kudzu Ranch, uh, decent. So there, there it goes like legend, killer, skull fuck, pretty rad, decent, bad. I don't, I can't tell whether skull fuck is good or bad. Uh, that's I the, think that's, that's like one second that, bad, is or it? is the worst? I can't okay. remember how the because obviously Buddyhead's like not up anymore. I think it went down like a couple of years ago, right? But yeah, I think like they gave like uh 2009, I think one of the best records was fucking the Almighty Defenders, the Black Lips and King Kong yeah. Barbecue Show, you know, pay, uh, record. Sometimes it was almost better to read their favorite records, even if I didn't always agree. 
because it was they still had something funny or witty or insightful to say. Right. I mean, it's really easy to make fun of a bad Weezer record. Right. Fucking how much time you got. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like their worst record of 2009. Again, this is in no particular order, this list. But one of them is, of course, that Broken Side album. I'm not a fan, but the kids like it. Tied with Millionaires Just Got Paid, Let's Get Laid. One of which I think would I would argue aged better. Millionaires? I think the millionaires aged better. Broken Side, at least it was interesting to me. It was like, okay. It was doing... interesting in the sort of bad way that music isn't right now. That was kind of bad on accident, where now right. I think people are bad on purpose. Um, yeah. One of, those, one of those dudes tagged me with a fucking monster can uh, at Warp Tour, <laughs> and I must have given him the fucking dirtiest look because he like spent the rest of the time that photographers were in the pit far back by the DJ. The whole like he, I guess I look like I, my fucking scrying ass was gonna charge the fucking stage. <laughs> he fucking just. And so, folks, in case you don't know, back in the day, Warp Tour was a thing, and yeah. Monster Energy Drink was like their big sponsor. Huge. And one of the things a lot of people don't know, I think more people know now, but for a long time didn't know, was that the Monster fucking drinks that bands were fucking just cracking open and slamming were almost always water. And I didn't know that at first, actually, like, didn't find out until afterwards. I thought this motherfucker tagged me with a full fucking sugar drink and it hit me in the fucking camera and all that and whatever. I think my more infamous story, because that same Warp Tour was Broken Side, Millionaires, and Attack Attack. And I'm going to tell Oof. you right now, Attack Attack was one of the worst things I've ever seen. And I've seen some fucking bad music, <laughs> but they had one of the largest crowds, if not the yeah. largest crowd at yeah. Warp Tour that year. I want to say larger than 303. I want to say larger than like the Circle Jerks, which is a shame because it is the, a shame. The three, I think, obviously, Circle Jerks is the better band, but 303, pretty, 303 pretty, pretty were choice. in their yeah. fucking stride. And yeah. they like had like half the crowd and they were a main stage performer, <sighs> but uh, millionaires, yeah, fucking uh photographed them and it's like whatever and i was still very very new to music this was like my first big festival and like i wish i had gotten better shots but i had gotten the photo of melissa millionaire bending over and showing showing her 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 thong (laughs) her black underwear her black underwear Um, also and i came from appalachia well this came down from the mountain and i want to get laid one of them millionaire sticks was showing her black underwear at that that show (laughs) i've done sprung a a little tree there in my pants. Oh my goodness, what's happening down there? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Wait, you, uh, someone want to say hello? You ever seen one of these before? Anyway. So, <laughs> oh baby, that's the 48 minutes of dogs barking riff of the week. Was not a cheesecake foe I was taking on purpose, no, but no. I was also smart enough at that time that when weird shit happens in front of your camera, you regardless of if you think take it's it, take, it, yeah. take the fucking photo. Yeah. And I remember a guy be- next to me. I took the fucking photo and I was like, oh, what the fuck? And he gave me a dirty look for taking the photo. But here's the thing. I posted on Flickr. Mm-hmm. God, this is like 2009. Ancient. And Melissa Millionaire found it, posted it on Tumblr, brought a bunch of fucking traffic to me. And like that was like my first viral photo. And Millionaires opened up for, I don't know, some terrible guy at the Firebird. Mm. I printed up a couple copies of that photo and I had walk me out to their tour bus and i was like hey um i took this really uh well-known photo of you would you mind signing a copy or two for me and she lost her fucking mind she's like wait you took this photo i go yeah i took it it warped to her like five years ago and she was like what the fuck and gave me a big old hug signed like can i keep a copy i'm like of course yeah 
Yeah. Uh, really Why nice. You give her one? Yeah, nice fuck. girl that represents some cultural things that I have issues with. But you know what? She can. You know what? She can get a ride from the airport for me any day. She seems like a nice person, and also like there's nothing wrong with balls to the wall pop songs about getting laid. Fuck it. Like <laughs> there was there was like a, I guess like a really weird in indie sleaze element to the millionaires that felt like kind of low effort. Like it didn't like. I don't know. This is a part. This Chicks is also on speed did the same shit like a well, two three is, years. Well, before. this is the era where everyone was fucking piercing their dicks and tying them together to like LCD <laughs> sound system. So yeah, everyone well, was really fucking serious about their indie music. Well, at least they were having fun. I think that's that's to me what that's. I think that's why I look back at millions. Like you know, at least it was fun and right. it wasn't like. Like watching someone fucking gas a no-kill shelter full of dogs like Taylor Swift. <laughs> you know, I like Taylor, but yes, I, I understand what you're saying. I, I, I get where you're coming from, where like, she does not seem like a fun person. I've watched this fucking documentary about her, and it's like, wow, everything you do is stage managed, even this, which is supposed to be this like raw, intimate look at your life. Oh, yeah. It's all yeah. stage managed. Yeah, it's all, it's all a facade. And like, you know, whatever, I guess I f- get that fucking paycheck, but don't sure. ever expect me, a fucking nobody with a podcast that 40 people listen to. <laughs> to take uh, you seriously as an artist? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think uh, back to Buddyhead, I think 2009 was their last iteration of the best and worst. But I think my yeah. favorite one, and God, there's some shit in here I forgot about. Like fucking, how beautiful is it that all the terrible things, you know, the war in Ukraine, COVID, impossible meat, all these terrible things... It was all just enough for us to all forget Vampire Weekend. Yeah. Yeah. God. I was, was like, nice. you know what? Yeah. Because I was going through all these and they, the Contra, I think, was on their worst. So was Chinese Democracy by Guns N' Roses, which, of course, their, their Axl Rose, some musical terror alert system. What would they give it? I don't know what they gave it on, on that, but I know that, that they said, before you guys start whining in the comments about how this record came out two years ago, let us remind you that it took Axl Rose and a laundry list of... 13 years to record and release this mind-blowingly embarrassing legacy annihilator of an album. Plus, if you thought that a guy with a giant yellow B-foot guitar and a dude with a KFC chicken bucket on his head being in Guns N' Roses was fucking mortifying, then check out what is by far the douchiest not-slash-toolbox that is on Axel's payroll in the videos below. Why is it that older rockers always think dudes who look like they are cast members of MTV's Jersey Shore are actually hip young dudes that are perfect for their rock bands. Ten Bucks says that this douchebag, DJ Ashba, ends up on hcwdb.com in the near future. And I don't know what that means, but I'm guessing it's... Uh, like a shock sigh or something. Yeah, yeah. Because there was actually one of the best and worst of iterations they didn't write. It was just Meat Spin. Ah, I don't know if uh, I sent that to you. you. I don't think you sent that particular one, but I know but you there was one there it. was like, oh, you guys are you guys are complaining so much about us not doing a best. We we're sorry we're late on it. I think the one that sticks out to me, I can't remember if it was 2002 or 2003, but it's one where they had Josh Homey. Mm-hmm. from queens of the stone age red elvis himself <laughs> well no the red elvis is there they're different uh, no no he's he's i think he's called the red elvis because he's a ginger and he's tall and he has oh. the pompadour uh jamie can you pull up <laughs> the buddy head 2003 but was, uh, red elvis is they did the music for six string samurai mm-hmm. they were in the movie man a movie that like 30 people remember it's i i like it i it's thought so it was crazy yeah but but yeah, I didn't. I had read about it so much in like Game Fan and like EGM <laughs> and like the late '90s. I didn't see it till like 2011. I didn't see it till like last year. Yeah, 
I mean, my my friend Dave uh, in high school kept telling me about it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, this sounds like a piece of shit movie. I know that you're not a Mars Volta fan, so the Mars Volta Tremulant. These guys have long hair, carry purses, and busted in Spanglish like Gerardo used to do. Punk Floyd it is. You know what? <laughs> At that point, you're not wrong. Punk have... Floyd, that's fine. McCluskey does Dallas. Uh, McCluskey, a, a, a long-forgotten but well-classic record. <laughs> How do we know that Aaron likes this band when Monica told him that the one dude in the band's balls were so big they wouldn't even fit in her mouth? Aaron responded with, I'll take that challenge. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing um, about the music, by the way. <laughs> How do you know this guy likes this band? Well, uh, let's see. Uh, Tom Petty, The Last DJ, which I agree. It's a great record. Tom Petty was at the forefront of the 2002, the year of the old rocker thing. Tom needs to ride this pissed off old guy thing out. Tom needs to start carrying a gun, showing up at these dick sucking award ceremonies and start pistol whipping anybody wearing sports jerseys. Worst records they had. Let's see here. They had the transplants. Uh, that is the uh, rancid side project where they rapped. It's pretty bad. <laughs> Diamonds and Guns is the only thing worthwhile and only for the, the, the instrumental. I could take or leave the fucking rapping, but Diamonds and Guns has the... They use it in a fucking shampoo commercial, mm-hmm. for God's sake. Oh, I forgot about that, yeah. they they so Here's one that I disagree with. They gave Electric Sweat by Mooney Suzuki a worst record of the year. Well, you gotta understand, those guys were like... They remember when boats were new. I think Butthead was the the pe- they were the individuals that broke that those dudes are old as shit. Yeah, and like in like fucking PR dudes are like, yeah, they're like twenty five and they're from like Soho. Yeah, now, the reunion show, kill your television and taking back Sunday. Tell all your friends they lumped together. Now the reunion show kicked ass. Real shame they didn't stick around. I liked the first taking back Sunday, but. Here's what they wrote about it. Just when you thought the emo hybrids couldn't get any worse, all the kids who bought Promise Ring records and didn't sell them for Zeppelin records or drugs started bands even wimpier and wackier. I once saw Promise Ring close out a hardcore show. Yeah. And I remember I'm like 15 or 16. Yeah. This is at Mississippi Nights. Did you like it? I thought I thought it was like a Mr. Show skit. Oh. And I just remember <laughs> so thought it was a bit. <laughs> thought they were doing so, a bit. I just remember a guy who's like bald and tight pants and a plaid shirt just very slowly implyingly <laughs> strumming an acoustic guitar and sounding sad. And this is like after like Poison the Well just got off the stage. Uh, yeah, and, you can't really follow that. And yeah, uh, yeah. the dudes from Poison the Well were fucking sick. We talked yeah. to them after show. But I just remember looking at this and be like, this fucking sucks. Like Common Rider was on there, Lawrence Arms. We were there to see International Noise Conspiracy, sure. but the drummer hurt his back in KC the night before. So fucking bummed. Still yeah. bummed to this day. I'm I would 30, be too. I'm fucking almost 37 years old. But I just remember turning around and the only people left in Mississippi Nights were all wearing the exact same uniform, which was chunky black glasses, uh-huh. a black hoodie zip up, uh-huh. and dark, dark blue jeans that were tight with the cuffs rolled up and some sort of like black sneaker. And the thing that also killed me is they all had the same like swoop haircut. And this is like 2002. So I had to look like down at only... my shoes to make sure that I wasn't actually wearing the same thing. But no, I, I, I'm... <laughs> last week I was wearing a black hoodie. Yeah. <laughs> and uh... black shoes. And my glasses have been black and chunky for the past 15 years. So. Right. But this was like the beginning of that. These are like the only hipsters in St. Louis. 
Yeah. There are people that were in Promise Ring that were in much better bands that weren't Promise Ring. That's Agreed. All I'm no, I, I would definitely agree to that for Promise sure. Ring, Promise Ring was kind of like the indie hipster version of like Dashboard Confessional as far as I'm concerned. I was surprised by a couple of things. You mentioned the 2003 Best Of. They put the shins on there, which I thought was like... Really? You guys? It's pretty mainstream for them, yeah. A bunch of old, weird-looking dudes from New Mexico show all the other indie types up by dropping another classic record on everyone's heads. Now, here's one. The keyboards player's girlfriend is Bomb Gash 2. (laughs) So you know they're onto something whenever you're wrangling Tang that was on America's Next Hottest Slut or whatever she was on. I used to follow that uh, lady. She was on America's Next Top Model. And it did eventually come out that the keyboardist was an abusive piece of shit to her. So this does not age very well. No, uh, I mean, wrangling, but, wrangling gash is such a phrase. It, is, it, the keyboard player's girlfriend is bomb gash, too. So you know you're onto something when you're wrangling tang. <laughs> what a phrase. Wow. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's no... Um, no love loss between any of these guys, but yeah, man, Buddyhead, what a, what an interesting cultural artifact. I don't, there's so many things like the phrase, hey, every dude in the band with a beard, you're blowing it for everyone else. <laughs> Just like, oh, uh, uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, he said, homeboy was in the birthday party and wrecked Kylie Minogue's area. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ. There's one on there, where they're like, this shit's tired than your kid's sister's burger. And I'm like, oh. Jeez, I mean, it was. I remember whatever it was. It was a good record. Yeah. Was what's the review for Dashboard? Dashboard Confessional, uh, the Amar Commission of Brandis Scar, I think it's their best record. Just to double check, they say I looked up the word "pussy" in the dictionary and found this: "pussy" one, a cat; also "pussy cat" two, the vulva. Coarse slang, usually considered a taboo use. And then there's a photo of Chris Caraba, three, the singer of Dashboard Confessional. So. <laughs> Well, all right, I get it. You know, they're, they're a little too hard on the sleeve for these guys. But like, um, they considered uh, "Stun," which was the evolution of Energy record, very strange. It was a very strange record, and I agree with them on this one. Uh, basically, they're saying like, "Yeah, refuse to add the drive-in and 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 do uh do the Sugar Ray thing with them, try to make them sound reasonable." Like, yeah, I guess that's fine. They gave Liz Fair a bad review, of course. Long gone are the days when Liz was the cute girl who wrote clever pop songs about being nailed from behind so she could watch TV at the same time. Homegirl had songs called Fuck and Run. This is pre-Shat, mind you. Now at the age of 37, she claims to have lost the desire of her own songs and left it up to people responsible for Avril Lavigne's tunes. They're not wrong there either. Uh, (laughs) Just a strange... And then, like, a year after this, she gets a writing credit... Or not not a writing credit. She she sings backup on a Sheryl Crow song that's now played in every fucking CBS during the summer. Soak up the sun. Yeah. So she's she's like, ah, I got that money. I'm fine. Yeah. I'm sure she got good points on it. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, you're singing backup for Sheryl Crow. Cheryl Crow, homegirl, you know? Yeah. She knows, she knows how to take care of her people. Sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, Who Bestanks the Reason, like a Mountain Dew commercial gone new metal. Stained, 14 Shades of Grey. They say Uncle Fester thinks he's Bob Dylan all of a sudden. <laughs> Trapped, of course. We mentioned it at the start of the show in the, uh, in the skit there. Fred Durst had to have written a secret new metal manual that we don't know about because every one of these bands is a clone of each other. <laughs> Brutal honesty. Yeah. And I think that's something missing. Like I mentioned that before, but I I keep coming back to it because like 
well, you and I worked for the same guy, the editor that I worked for would steer me away from writing negative things about shit I didn't like. Yeah. So eventually I just was like, well, I'm I'm just not going to write it then. You get someone else to do it because I got nothing good to say about he, this. He, uh, he used to tell <laughs> me that I like to cause a lot of trouble for myself. Well, that may be true. That's not his problem. <laughs> right. But I was like, yeah, but I'm like your best photographer. Right. And uh, and also like the art's the art and the work's the work. Fuck the rest. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I just, I mean, I think, I think like I thought there was something really pure about Buddyhead, and I mean, yeah, it's abrasive, and yeah, some some of the language they use definitely has not aged well. Some of it no. is, is some of it amazingly is still as endearing now as it was almost twenty years ago. Right. There was an interview with Travis Keller where someone, uh, I think it was like an L.A. Weekly, where he said like, you know, like, well, we think like music is sacred, and we don't like people that fuck around or something along those yeah. lines. Yeah. You know, this is uh, we. There's too much bullshit out there. Yeah, he, he is, nothing was conscious. If anything, I was trying to make my friends laugh, express myself, and shine light on shit I thought was cool. I had just moved to L.A., and I was surrounded by cool shit. I felt like a kid in a candy store. Everything I've ever done has been to combat boredom, and none of it was planned because I never thought anyone would see it or care. I still think all this shit is pretty funny. I went through some shit and grew up a bit. Finally... The shit talk comes from a place of serious fandom. I love art and music so much. I know what I like, and it's the closest thing I have to a religion. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah, and that, that well, when I read that, that really resonated with me. It still oh, yeah. does. Just like always felt like there was so much. I got a lot of shit. Sure. I got a lot of shit for making fun of Bob Royer. I got a lot of shit for making fun of. He's a weird dude. And, and There's a lot of material w- there. Yeah, and you know what? And like looking back, I wish I was nicer to him. I was never like a dick to his face. I just thought like, you know, scratchy, you know. Sure. And people didn't like the things I had to say about Pokey Lafarge. And it's like Pokey's an absurd person. He absurd. He's <laughs> like this. Pokey is a really nice guy. Sure. But I am not going to act like his shtick ain't got some weird blind spots. Right. Because he kind of look. Should I say it? Go for it. He kind of looks like he's in the front row of a lynching photo. <laughs> he's in the Overlook Hotel photo at the end of The Shining. Well, yeah. I mean, he just he kind of like what you know, like uh, y- your whole shtick is has some connotations with some dark parts of American history, right? You know, going on Letterman, singing a song about a bow-legged woman, like just all this stuff that just felt really—it's absurd. It's is that you're 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 pointing out the absurdity of it. Yeah, and again. Pokey is a nice guy. I've shook his hand many times. Got a good grip. Sure. Um, <laughs> was that your Trump? Yeah, was the, he's got Pokey a good grip. should I say? Pokey Lafarge. Got a good grip. Okay. I'm a firm handshake on that guy. Um, <laughs> Big, like, beautiful uh, men backstage crying with me. Beautiful back. He played that, you know, just like the shit with like Jack White signing that like record deal on like a yeah. broken record. And I'm just like, this shit. I, all the nice thing I can say about him as a person, I can't act like that shtick isn't fucking lame. No, I mean, you can say, hey, you know, g- get your bag right on, you know, or whatever, but, like, you don't have to like it. You can like them as a... Pr- it's separating the art from the artist. It's yeah. something that I always used to talk about when people would be like, well, I can't listen to... Marilyn Manson. Marilyn Manson or, or, or Michael Jackson. Like, I can't... It's like, yes, I understand that you get the ick. That's a perfectly reasonable thing that happens. But are we going to act like Man in the Mirror is not the fucking jam? You're not going to act like fucking Billie Jean's not the jam? You're going to act like Thriller's not a jam? Like, just, you got to be able to separate the art from the artist. 
because fucking Prince was a dick. Yeah. <laughs> and Prince was fucking amazing. Yeah. So like the coolest if, one of the coolest motherfuckers to ever do. It. It, it's it's just like these guys. Like they might have been writing shit that is maybe not cool nowadays, but you gotta understand that it comes from a place of love. This buddy head writing, that's the art. And the artist, you know. <laughs> I think Travis is a nice guy. No, and like I said, you gotta be able to separate it though. Yeah. Because like, sure, Travis is probably a nice guy, but he comes off as a dick in his writing. I, it's it's yeah. kind of the inverse of of musicians. Like he might be a dick in his personal life, but his music's a jams, right? So it's that same kind of separation. You have to be able to be like, look, I can appreciate the writing for what it is, which is scathing, without sure. And sometimes it is mean spirited. But sometimes those targets, you know, had a lot of heat. And but, you, <laughs> but but it's the same like it, it, in Buddyhead, like there's a lot of people out there, like there were little fucking weirdos like me, little <laughs> outcasts in their little shitty Midwestern high schools and all that, that like found out about really cool fucking I I would have never found out about like shit like the hot snakes or yeah, 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 is without like Buddyhead. Yeah. You know, they were a kind of tastemakers. They let you know what was cool and what wasn't cool. And there's bands that they love and they would call them out be like hey this record kind of sucks i think they like they loved fever to tell yeah but i don't think they loved show your bones all right. that much you know like and that was a pretty i mean that was a fairly common complaint too from people who were fans from from the first one but like they called the mars volta's first ep you know a uh, punk floyd right but then like a couple of years later they're like throw in the towel guys you know you're done and yeah. they, there's an honesty there like yeah we liked this this not so much. You don't want yeah. thirty minute songs about, about a bowl arena, yeah, that, no, I get. Uh, <laughs> but what's interesting too is that good criticism like this is, even if it's like pointed and kind of sometimes mean spirited, even good criticism, you know, even someone who writes well in a negative way, can make me interested enough to go, well, maybe I should listen to this and see if they're right. Yeah, because <laughs> some some of the stuff that they listed as their their worst albums, I'm like I, I kind of like that one. <laughs> There's a couple. I mean, like they they made fun of an international noise conspiracy record. When it's one of their funny reviews, like these dudes are really all about like communism, or whatever. They let me go to their shows and steal tables and shit. <laughs> <laughs> Which like fair, okay, yeah. Like I feel like. You know, Travis Keller, I think he, like, made fun of refusing that to drive in for getting back together, which is the proper response. Yeah. I, I mean, still, like, um, we'll talk about in the breath, but there was a movie that I had seen that used a refuse song, and it made me roll my eyes so fucking hard, I think <laughs> I might have farted. <laughs> All right. But, yes, so I feel like Buddy had this weird, amazing thing that in music journalism that doesn't really exist anymore because everyone's so fucking afraid to lose their little pussy crumb of access <laughs> yeah of you know for because uh, even pitchforks not as mean as they used to be like yeah. like we mentioned like they, they gave that jet review that was a monkey pissing in his own mouth and then when they re-reviewed it they gave it like an eight yeah and then they did the same thing with the andrew wk record where the initial review was like a three or a four and you know right. and also fuck pitchfork because i remember being told secondhand that so many dimos, which is a local band here that was very, very popular. Yeah, speaking for a of Ryan Masoba, that I had heard secondhand that the worst thing that ever happened to them was getting reviewed by Pitchfork. And I've heard a few bands say that the worst thing that ever happened to them, they probably would have had great careers and done well, but they got like a six and an unfair oh, comparison. Because yeah. yeah. I think so many dimos got like a six or a seven, and they were like, hey, it sounds too much like dismemberment plan. And I'm like, oh. 
wrong, A. Right. And, and B, like, no. And like I said, like I was saying before, like, you can disagree with a review. That's what I always liked about guys like Roger Ebert when it came to movies. Yeah. You could always at least read a Roger Ebert review and come away with it going, well, you know, Roger might be wrong because, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but there's nothing that really, like, in indie music can kill you like a meh nah. review. Yeah. It, it, it's either... You have to, they have to give you a three or they have to give you an eight. Yep. Anything in between, like you're fucking done. Go back to your fucking dad's siding business. It's over. Video games is the same way, apparently. Yeah. Like you either got to get an eight or a two. Yeah. <laughs> no one wants to play a fucking five. They want to see a fucking suicide on the stage. Or they want to play the next fucking, you know, masterpiece. But they don't want to play something that's just okay. Right. Because I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of really shitty records out there that like have like some weird way in their brokenness or their awfulness is like, this is kind of endearing or actually this is, you know what? I, I, I like this record because if they had just gone with this direction a little bit longer, it would have been sick. If they'd taken it farther, if they'd done more of, yeah, yeah, yeah that, that happens. And now the moment you've all been waiting for. Shock.jpg. All right, so what we got here for uh, Shock.jpg, my Shock.jpg this week is a <laughs> clown song, Brian. Oh, jeez. Now, uh, unfortunately, this happens from time to time. Unfortunately, because... The internet gods have taken favor. Yeah, well, also just because the fact that Flash is no longer a thing... Uh, Flash was discontinued. You cannot find it. You, you would have to literally download the Flash file and play it in a dedicated Flash player. And even then, it's not secure. It's depreciated. Probably wouldn't play the file, whatever. So, unfortunately, I don't have the video to show you, but I can give you a description from our good friends at the Screamer Wiki. Screamer Wiki pretty much owns this segment of the show. Thank you for doing all the work for us, boys. Clownsong.com is a, uh, a shock site, courtesy of LolShock. LolShock was a huge repository of all sorts of shock stuff. So the site is basically just the video. It's a uh, naked man in a bathroom stretching his anus while screaming in agony for about 24 seconds. <laughs> Why is it called Clown Song? What is Clown Song? Clown Song is an internet artwork showing an awesome video of a bald man artistically stretching his own ass. The video itself is shocking in nature and set in a bathroom. The performance takes place in a tub and on the bathroom floor. The work is similar to Goatsy and Bottle Guy, also known as One Guy, One Jar. The video version is actually Clown Song version 2.0. Ah, here it is. Here's why. The original version had clown music over the top. But it was removed for artistic reasons. It detracted from the core message of the video. The name Clown Song is a result of this clown music that previously accompanied the video. So that is why it is called Clown Song. You know the one. There it is. We've basically recreated the experience for you right there. Yes, so in, uh, so rather than just a still image of uh, Kirk Johnson's asshole, it is a guy in a bathtub uh, stretching it open for you on the interwebs there. Why does all the shock shit have to do with buttholes, I wonder? I mean, that really was like the most forbidden thing for internet mail from like 2000 to like 2008. Just like ass play in general or just... 
I mean, this was definitely the era of guys not washing their ass. The era? I mean, I think we're still in that shit. I don't I, man, I get in there. I arch my back and everything. <laughs> I I mean, look, I'm not ashamed to say it. I do I do get in. I do I have to, obviously. I'm a, I'm a hairy guy. But like <laughs> but like yeah, we're I feel like we're both like in the same situation that if we were shirtless and he threw a lip match <laughs> at our chest, we would it go would... up like an old Christmas tree. Yeah. I have like taken my shirt off like on like float trips and stuff and like I've like felt people just like wince. And I'm like There's... I know. And like my mom for like a couple uh, I'm making it sound like I'm just like I get like like my fucking body hair gets stuck in like the, esc- <laughs> the escalator at the mall or something. Like I get the jaws of life out. Right. But there was like a couple of years, like in my early twenties, my mom like couldn't figure out what to get me for like uh, my birthday or for Christmas, oh, no. and she'd be like, "We well, don't get like laser removal for your shoulders." And then like oh. like like you know what? I'm gonna play this out. And I and then as I got older, started like dating chicks. They're like kind of into it like really like yeah i dated too many pretty boys like shaved their chest all the time uh, it's like making out with a ken doll and i'm like well i'm kind of like making out with the guy who still owns a ken doll it counts yeah yeah <laughs> ass play was apparently the thing yeah i remember to gross people out i guess like one of the fucking big 4chan guys like kinatar marshall banana one of the big fucking hentai pedo guys uh that <laughs> migrated from uh something awful's uh anime board which was called anime death rape horror or tentacle horror death house addrtw i can't remember that sounds right I don't yeah know. we'll um, have to call but Jay they went from the one. anime forum to 4chan and one of them apparently did his own goat see and i saw it one time Woo! and was like oh that's really f- i don't i'm not into that i think i think it was just a forbidden hole yeah i mean even the amazing atheist could not resist even gavin mckinnis couldn't resist <laughs> god i mean just you know what fellas <laughs> fellas you ever just want to like you know play with your butt for a bit no honestly you ne- uh, not really you never you never uh God, I should cut that. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. My girlfriend appreciates. Yeah, that. yeah. So yeah, so we 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 did the shock. Oh boy, did we? We ever. did our we did our thing of the week. We did. Now we get to the part that everyone wants to listen to first. Everybody does. Yes. Yeah, you wanted to talk about something. So there's a couple things I wanted to bring up. The first one I want to talk about is a little movie called Triangle of Sadness. Oh, I wanted to see this. Tell me about this. It's good. It's really good. It is about a bunch of rich, vapid individuals that go on a cruise and things go wrong and there's some class analysis, but it's kind of like the whole eat the rich thing that's really popular right now that doesn't really offer you anything material. It's like mm-hmm. it is like looking at the at the menu and never ordering off of it. I'll 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 come back to that because that's that's Oh, my, there's a movie called The Menu. The menu. That that's that's my I've been meaning to watch that as I've been meaning to watch that as well. The Gay Chingy was a big <laughs> recommender of the menu. And, um, the I, Gay Chingy? Yeah. I, we, talk, I, we gave a shower. She, she is a, a femme dyke yeah. on Twitter yeah. who I wish I could be friends with IRL because yeah. she seems like she's really great. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, um, I remember this. But yeah, I'm sorry. I, I think we gave a shout out to her on a previous I, I think you did, yeah. Her, her movie recommendations always seem to be really stellar. I wish I had the freedom and the time to, to follow up on, mm-hmm. on all that. But anyways... She recommended it, and yeah. it. She posted a couple of clips, and it seemed awesome. But the Triangle of Sadness might be the stealth favorite movie of mine of really? last year. Okay, just because it's absurd, it's disgusting. Um, <laughs> it 
says it has some interesting politics even if it is just kind of you know window dressing but it's well performed it's very funny it goes from being very poignant and kind of like there's times where there's terror yeah and it's very upsetting and then there are moments that are really fucking funny like they kill an animal to eat and it's funny and upsetting at the same time in a way that i i think only foreign films can be yeah there's a a a part where things literally go to shit (laughs) <laughs> and uh, refuse new noise starts to play. Oh, and I, this and it is so wild. That a song that I loved so much as a teenager like fills me with disgust. That now. was the first one of theirs I heard. Yeah, it really, it, it got to me. I'm yeah. just like, oh, I don't like it. Just doesn't need to be. See, I would have had a lot more respect for them if they pulled a KLF and like removed their music from circulation for like twenty some odd years. Uh, but they didn't, and they it it's just I don't know. Anyways, that was really interesting. It, it is recommended despite some bad music licensing. <laughs> uh, the performances and the stories are all super really interesting. Willie Harrelson's great. Yeah, there is a, a fat Russian oligarch character <laughs> who is absolutely amazing. And uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about. I decided to catch up on a little show on mm. Netflix called Stranger Things. Okay. What did you think of Stranger well, Things? Well, you know, I remember the first season being interesting, a little uneven, but mm-hmm. I could, you know, well acclaimed. It, it got, it definitely, you know, earned its flowers. And then the friend I watched it the first season with, they were like, I'm fucking done with this shit. Sure. And so I never really picked up. I think I watched like a, maybe f- dozed off during an episode or two of the second <laughs> season. Right. But that was about as far as I got. And I had a little bit of free time over the last week. And so I was like, you know, fuck it. And I thought season two was kind of shitty. Yeah. I mean, it had some fun stuff. It's not their best. I will give it that. It, yeah. it felt Paul like Reiser, it felt though. like it. Paul Reiser is great, but it felt like they didn't know what they were. It felt like they were writing it back. Yeah. And there's characters, there's stuff that goes on with Eleven that didn't really need to be there. You're talking about the detour to Chicago that yeah. they do? <laughs> so fucking stupid. And like, there's cool shit that happens there, but the way they do it is... It feels like it's really out of place. It Yeah, it feels really bizarre, and it doesn't really fit with the rest of that character's development. No. And the big bad doesn't really work. The little demo dogs aren't yeah. that great. And... I just didn't like like the first half of the season. I think if you broke it down the five minute segments the entire season and, and and gave it the binary good or sucks, it would probably be overwhelmingly by five minute segments suck. Yeah, the shit that's good that's really good, but most of it was fucking donkey dick. Yeah, but I will say, I will say here, as I start sounding like a nice guy <laughs> yeah. from the northeast. Yeah. I will say the season three I did enjoy thoroughly. I had a lot of fun with that. I felt like they got back to some of their roots. It was a little bit of a... Oddly enough, even though there's some big shit in that storyline, it felt a little bit smaller. Yeah, I I did like the... It was a little less ambitious, but which is what it needed to be. Like, I think that they need to tell a tire story. Yeah. I love the character, Billy. I love the the setting of the mall. That was all really great stuff. The, the paranoid Russian conspiracy theory was very much Red Dawn, very Ameri- yeah. 80s Americana. That that really sang to me. I love introducing more of the character of Erica, Lucas's younger sister. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, I, I just... So there's a lot to like there. Elle's new fashion season. choices, Max becoming a main character. There's just so much happening in there that I'm like, yes, please, more of this. Yes. Yeah, I think like one of the things that really I did not like about season two, and I have not watched season one since it came out in 2016, but one of the things about season two I didn't like is that like the setting was just like, hey, you remember all the things you consume in the in the eighties and and Reagan and like yeah. God, this this all this feels like someone's just tapping me in the dick and I'm like stop it. Yeah, stop. I'm trying. I'm trying to watch. I'm trying to fucking watch the stop. Stop hitting my nuts. At least in season three and some parts of four, it's a little bit more backgrounded. It's still there. And it's fine. It's it's the setting, and there's and there's like cultural things and all, like whatever. Like I get you want to chew the fucking scenery a little bit, but season two it just felt like well, in the absence of everything else here, <laughs> hey, this is a thing that was going on that was consumptive. It wasn't that uh, yeah. good or bad. We don't really we don't have anything to say. I have started. I'm on like the second or third episode of season four, which so far is okay. Um, I think. I think moving them to California was a big mistake. Moving to California, it feels super fucking rushed. I don't... I think there was a lot of really cool stuff they did with Eleven and Max and Season 3. Yeah, where they became best friends. it feels like they've just, like... A lot of the stuff that, like... A lot of the relationships and stuff that was really cool about Season 3, all that stuff seems to have been negated by the time Season 4 happens. And it feels, like, just really bizarre. And also, there was, like, a year or so in between the release of season one, season two, there was Correct. two or three years in between season two and season three and another two or three years between season three and season four. And right. all of these fucking kids, they all look like they've seen war. Yeah. You yeah. know, they look, they look, they uh, look Finn, like they're older than me. Finn Wolfhard uh, j- had just done two it movies. I, I think he was in two or three different movies in between the yeah. seasons. And like, you can kind of tell. There's yeah, a, it's know. it's well, like in season three, like some of those actors and actresses were like had literally outgrown their haircuts. Yeah, and, and season, season four doesn't four, get any better. <laughs> yeah, season four isn't much better. Yeah, but so far season four, I think the cinematography I really enjoy. Yeah, for sure. And the the costume work is, I mean, just like I think the production values are really nice. Yeah. I like I like the lighting's really clean. Yep. And crisp. It looks just really it's a, it's a they make good images in oh, yeah. season 4. Um which I think was like a problem in season 2. Season 2 felt very ugly and not in the fun or interesting way. It kind of felt like a direct to VHS sequel, which I, it tracks with the time period, but it just it fell flat. When it came to execution, there was maybe one or two shots of the mind flare that were like, "Okay, this is the this is the big image that we're supposed to take away. This is the splash panel in the comics yeah. that we're supposed to like think about." But season three, I felt like their special effects were super good, and it felt just it was like, "Oh, I really like this. I would take more of this." So far, season four isn't really scratching that itch. It gets um, better. It gets better. The the Eddie way. character, though, I do. I mean, everyone Eddie I realize that everyone's yeah. like. I, I mean, I was on the internet when this all came out, so right. like I remember everyone talking about how much I liked Eddie, and it's like, oh, actually, yeah, my Aunt Kelly had a couple of friends like that when I was a little kid, and like, yeah, so like, the Eddie is like, oh, that is a real ass dude that yeah. I knew. Oh, yeah, yeah, with the Iron Maiden jacket and all that, yeah. Yeah, like, those are those are people <laughs> from my childhood that were that, you know, or in their early 20s when I was a little kid. Man, they used to call those guys Heshers. Yeah. Yeah, he was a real Hesher guy. Yeah, he sold pot to the high school kids, and uh, and he listened to Iron Maiden and his uh, you know sleeveless jean jacket. Yeah, no, yeah, we, we've yeah. we've all known an Eddie Munson at some point. Yes, in our lives. and also also I'm gonna yeah. 
before I let no, you no, speak. No, 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 please. Uh, the one thing so far that I really have not liked about season four is that they introduced a character named Chrissy, who's like the popular cheerleader girl, and give her automatically a bunch of depth and like subtleties <laughs> and then just fucking murk her. Yep, yep. And I'm like, oh, I actually thought this would have been like another interesting new character, like how when they introduced Max right. or uh, Erica. And I was like, oh, oh, hey, there's hey, there's some depth. Like this is like, oh, this is a good performance. There's some I want what's this character where does she oh she fits in this because she gets turned into like a fucking piece of crazy bread. Yeah. Oh, last bone to pick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm fucking all Please, roll. come on. So fucking one of the things I noticed while I was watching, cause like, you know, I'd watch like an episode, clean, mm-hmm. do some stuff, like, you know, work on some emails or whatever. Sure. And some this guy bouncing between like chores and stuff and like working on other things and like watching it. And I just realized like, oh, God, these epi- particularly in season two, these episodes suck almost specifically because of the fucking Netflix binge layout yeah. like they like everything has to have a fucking cliffhanger that is not resolved ever no. usually in the preceding episode i'm like this sucks like why can't you just have like a normal like structure everything has to have the same fucking crescendo at the end and then like it never half the time it doesn't get resolved in the following episode and then if oh, fuck you got me again that is a, a pitfall of the binging model episodic shows week to week do that too though like i've noticed when as i'm going through the peripheral it has a few of those moments where I'm like, son of a bitch, I gotta wait a week now. It is it is a a sin. Yes. Of, particularly of season two where it's like, what the f- you guys just couldn't have like a normal ending? Like everything has to be like, uh what's that smell? And then like they never tell you what that smell is. No, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's very end is like that. Hey, what's he sniffing about? You know, and thirty think pieces about like what was Lucas's what did Lucas's hand smell like? <laughs> <laughs> the Nope. You know what? I'm not even going to go. There. Anyway, um, <laughs> I'm just going to leave that one hanging. You can guess what I was about to say. I'm just going to leave it. You had a uh, a third, uh, a, a bit of uh, breath minting, I'm guessing, to, to go into there. Everything, everywhere at once. Ah, wonderful. I'm so glad you watched it. What did you think? I really liked it. Yeah. I thought it was really fun and interesting in the way that movies aren't anymore. Yes. I thought that... There was some really great costume work and mm-hmm. some really great character work. Uh, the choreography was fantastic. I was just amazed it could be as serious and as funny at the, as same, it, at time. the same time. Yeah. It felt like a little bit like the Matrix <laughs> in a way that, a little. In yeah. the, but but in an endearing way, in the way right. that like, oh yeah, this kind of reminds me how it felt like watching the Matrix for the first time, where you're just like, what, what, huh? Like my understand, my some of my my conventions are being as far as this medium are being challenged. Right. A lot of really great performances. A lot of people are like, Hey, I know that guy's voice. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. geez. He was, he was in Kung Fu Panda. Why do I recognize him from Kung Fu Panda? I, know. I look at his IMDB and he's in a, ma- a million things that are oh, way better. Big than trouble a- in little China. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's James Hung, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, he was fantastic. But like, I also worked at a blockbuster when Kung Fu Panda was on Fair. DVD. Yeah. I could probably recite like a third of that movie <laughs> by memory. I'd rather you didn't. I saw it enough when the kids were Oh, young. my tenders. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but, uh, man, what did you think of Jamie Lee Curtis? I thought like, wow, what a, what a choice. What a choice. <laughs> what, what, just what an amazing, miserable character. She's great. She's I great. love her. I, as someone who has worked for the government. Yeah. 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 Uh. Tracks. A lot about it, even as fantastical as it is, rings really true. And that's what's really interesting about it is that, like, boy, the Daniels, 
maybe maybe they haven't even lived a quarter of these lives, but boy, they they have a lived-in feel. That's what I was yeah. trying to trying to convey previously. I don't think I really said it properly, but yeah, it it feels grounded and real, which it kind of has to given the fantastical premise. <laughs> yeah, and so yeah, I'm really glad you enjoyed it. That's that's why it made my best of man. Because yeah, that was, that was super so, fucking good. And so we were good. like looking for something to watch the other night. I was like, fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, for my breath mint, I do have a trio of movies, uh, some of them more interesting than others. I'm going to start with something you mentioned during your reference of Triangle of Sadness. This was The Menu, uh, yes. starring Ray Fiennes, Anna Taylor-Joy, and a slew of others. But boy, those two carry the goddamn film. Ray Fiennes, I've loved him so much for a long, long time. Side note, the movie Strange Days which if you've not seen before is a Catherine Bigelow joint from before she started doing war propaganda. Yeah. Uh, post point break, but pre black Hawk down. This is the movie that she co-wrote with her then husband, James Cameron. It's a movie about police surveillance. It came out after the Rodney King uh, verdict and, and it was just really sharp and really on point. Ray Fiennes gives a career defining performance. So does Angela Bassett. Anyway, Ray Fiennes in the menu is almost in my mind, a better performance than Ray Fiennes in Strange Days. Knowing me and knowing my taste in movies and how much I love Strange Days, that does say a lot. He plays this obsessive celebrity chef, and so he has these familiar mannerisms. If anyone has watched, say, an Anthony Bourdain or a Gordon Ramsay or any one of these guys who is very serious about their craft, right? And so there, there, it's this exclusive restaurant in the middle of nowhere, and they have to take a ferry out to get there. Mm-hmm. And it's an island, right? And they have this exclusive menu. It's $1,300 a person to come to this place and have a six-course, eight-hour experience. Right? So it starts at four in the afternoon and goes to two in the morning. It is, you know, it's extravagance defined. That, that makes it 10 hours. I did the math wrong. But it's extravagance defined, right? And so it starts out as... A weird travel log, and it's a movie about food. But then very quickly you start to realize, well, it's not really about that. It's actually a movie using food as a metaphor for film. And so it's this filmmaker making very strident points about like what is junk cinema and what is cinema cinema and why does it matter? And like really well done. Uh, HBO Max has it. Highly recommend it if you have that service subscription. That is the menu. And then I also want to give a shout-out to another streaming-only movie, White Noise, which is an adaptation of Don DeLillo's book mm-hmm. starring mm-hmm. Adam Driver. I, I have, I've heard uh, this one's pretty controversial. It's Noah Baumbach doing something I've never seen him do, which is maximalism. He ha- <laughs> He usually has, you know, if you've seen Squid and the Whale or if you've seen like sure. any other Noah Baumbach movie you know that he kind of traffics in these really small pictures. You know, it's about a family. A, right? a, a, a alcoholic father with a ping pong table. Right. I mean, there's, yeah. there's a, I mean, you can almost, it's almost like Wes Anderson. You can count on certain things happening sure. in a Noah Baumbach movie. Well, this, because it's an adaptation of a Don DeLillo book, it starts out as almost your stereotypical Noah Baumbach movie. Sure. Characters are talking over each other. There's this naturalistic dialogue, all of that coming straight from the book. But then 
a major inciting incident, and here we go into a spoiler warning for a book that's been out for almost a decade, but a a train derailment causes what they call in the book the airborne toxic event. Oh, yes. Uh, A a very okay indie band from about 15 years ago as well. Right, and the airborne toxic event releases this poison in the air that also makes you feel nostalgia it's a whole it's it's fantastic the, 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 my favorite running bit in the in the movie and in the book is that the character that adam driver plays whose name i always forget i've read this book maybe once or twice and i, I still for some reason the main character's name just like slips out of my mind the minute i start thinking about it but he he his job is that he is a professor of hitler studies <laughs> Amazing, but the the central gag is that he can't speak a lick of German. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so, like, it's funny. It's weird. There's just Don Cheadle is in the movie. It's just it's really an experience. It's 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 like two hours and some change. So it is a bit long in the tooth. But boy, Adam Driver has proven himself again and again and again. And this is no exception. Definitely got to give it up for White Noise. And then the last for for chicks that love guys with a face like that that sound like Buffalo Bill, it's a movie for you. <laughs> oh, oh man! Yeah, we rewatched the Last Jedi over oh, Christmas yeah. break, and love it. I still think it's my favorite Star Wars movie. And uh, I well, remember sitting in the theater watching that motherfucker, and I'm like, I, I saw it by myself because uh, two of my friends didn't want to see it at the same time as me i was like i gotta get this out of my fucking system so i went <laughs> you gotta get the it was one of the out. last movies yeah. i saw at the mills mall okay at the regal there and i was like oh this is this is fucking great because like before i knew what doctor who was mm. i knew what star wars was and i knew every king like grade school that i didn't like that was a nerd if you're really in like comic books and video games we probably get along if you're a fucking star wars nerd and you're like fucking eight in like the mid 90s i wanted nothing good to happen in your life i thought star wars was and then until i understood what doctor who was and i realized oh i have a new (laughs) um a new challenger challenger i did not like star wars i mean like i liked star wars i don't like star wars fans yeah so the fact that they that he was at rain rain johnson rain johnson made a star wars film that is amazing but is also designed to make star wars fans like do hate crimes to each other nuclear level angry yes yeah uh amazing i i thought yeah. it was great i was like whole thing like oh this is irreverent towards the the mythology and like everything that's held sacred it's literally telling you to burn it <laughs> it's like literally telling you to eat shit and die you fuck you've wasted your whole life <laughs> the biggest middle finger to hardcore star wars fans and i couldn't have enjoyed it more because of that yeah i think i think there's a certain None of this matters. These characters yeah. are on a journey, and this bullshit doesn't have anything to do with it. Well, I mean, I, the part where uh, Rose and uh, what's his face Finn Finn like go off to like the gambling plant like that, unfortunately, does not play out as it's well a weak as it point. should. Uh, but you do get uh, Benicio del Toro, weird stuttering character who's in it for like ten minutes, and then <laughs> disappears when everything goes to shit. So you're like, what happened to that guy? He sold him out, and he took the last jet out. He took the last escape pod. He's gone. Amazing. He pulled the space balls. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yes, indeed. I, I, I got the last one. Yep. Uh, out of here. The long fellas. Yep. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's pretty much it. Yeah. Uh, but like his, I mean, I think that's the only really weak part of the film. And considering how much is in the movie, that's 
and it's damning still with fun. faint praise. Yeah, there's it's just uh, there's there's so much going on in it. And, I, and the last, uh, the rise of Skywalker undid uh, everything. Just was absolutely. I mean, that's one of those. This is a few times in my life where I've been to a movie where you could tell there was a sour tone in the theater yeah. about halfway. Like you could yeah. tell people were like really looking for an excuse to leave. I, I sat through it and I was like, well. This that sucks. was a certain thing. That was certainly a thing that happened. Yeah. <laughs> they decided that, oh, we'll give Star Wars fans everything they want, which is kind of like, it would be like, like uh, so Star Wars fans want another Holocaust? It, I mean, but it feels like you're feeding the wrong people. Now you're feeding the vocal, the vocal people who are all pissy about Last Jedi. And so you went in and you reversed every cool thing Last Jedi did and, and gave... Rain Johnson, the double fingers back. Yeah, uh, it was definitely and, a dialogue between two filmmakers, one of whom did not like what the other one did. <laughs> and like, and was that Ron Howard? That was J.J. Abrams. That did the last one. Yeah, did Ron Howard write it? I, was no, it Ron, Ron Howard? Howard did Solo, the Star Wars story. Okay, Solo wasn't that bad. Solo was fine. Yeah, it was fine. I mean, I I still think the best. I still think the best Star Wars thing post Disney buy is probably Rogue one. Rogue One is it Rogue One or Rogue Squadron? Is it Rogue One? Rogue, Rogue Squadron one... is Patty Jenkins' thing. It's not out yet. Oh, okay, Rogue One I thoroughly enjoyed. I yeah. think that's just a great little story um, that fits in nice with the original trilogy. And boy, as someone who doesn't really like Star Wars all that much, I sure can fucking flap my lips about it. I could have gone without Vader being a space badass at the end of Rogue One. If you cut that, it's a perfect movie. Yeah, yeah. Just I... just have him approaching them, and then they take off. That's all I need. I don't need to see him flipping around and shoot. Fuck that shit. That's prequel shit. Leave that alone. I don't need that. That's that's not my Star Wars. My Star Wars is Vader's a slow guy. He's part robot. <laughs> He's not some magic man. He's a guy who walks slow because he has to. He's a robot. Anyway, that's that's my personal beef with Rogue One. It's one scene. You cut it, and it's a perfect movie. And it's really even not that dog shit. <laughs> it's, it's not as bad as the prequels, I'm saying. I'm just anyway. It, it, none of that. None of that is bad as anything in the Rise of Skywalker. I think my favorite Rise of Skywalker meme is the <laughs> the somehow Palpatine return bit. No, no. My favorite meme is the final shot where it's Leia and Luke. Oh, and then someone had like the you know what photo I'm talking about where it's like someone took a flash photo and there's like a two dogs humping a guy <laughs> doing a BMX trick and like the guy sucking the other, the other guy's guy, uh, tick and the other someone guy's like, add in the yes, two guys perfect. the guy getting his dick sucked I was like <laughs> and I had not seen the movie yet and I'm like oh this is gonna be they good really went places yeah <laughs> JJ's taking Star Trek in a new direction <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you know what my know terrible exactly description what, what image because, I'm talking because about because that image the, the guy who had gotten that photo was getting a picture of his friend doing like a jump on a dirt bike or something and then in the background it's a BMX like, bike I think yeah, uh, yeah but, and there's like two dogs humping and then there's and one one guy blowing up <laughs> anyway my third breath my last thing we're going to talk about today is George Miller's follow up his his first movie that came out after Mad Max Fury Road it is a small intimate affair called 3000 Years of Longing uh, the aka the movie that was buried yeah sadly cuz man Andrew's Elba uh, you got your Tilda Swindon there and they're you know they're pretty much the major players in the flick it's great a woman finds a gin he says make three wishes she says i don't know i got i got pretty much everything i need so he goes well let me tell you a story so it's a movie about stories. The gin's telling a story of how he came to be imprisoned in the bottle. That's the movie. 
Yeah. And then she makes a couple wishes, and then uh, and, and the movie ends. It's it's great. It's visually interesting because it's George Miller. He knows exactly what to do with any given frame. He's a master of just sparse storytelling. Concise and wonderful. Doesn't outstay its welcome. Can't be longer than, what, hour 45? Really well done. I love everybody in it. Like I said, the casting's great. Every VFX shot is goofy as shit. And I think that kind of sells it. It's like there's a charm to it. Yeah. Um, Man, it's just... What a good time. What a good time at the movies, 3,000 Years of Longing. Well, I bet our listeners had 3,000 Years of Longing waiting for us to wrap up this episode. Jesus <laughs> fucking Christ. Where are we at? Like two and a half hours? So, Brian. You, you just, uh, just add out all my slurs. No, I come think on. We'll be down to a tight 90. Uh, I'm, I'm Jason. This is Brian. Uh-huh. We can be reached via the internet in a number of different ways. I'm going to give you the brief rundown for me. You can find me on Twitter at Videocrime, V-I-D-E-O-C-R-I-M-E. You can also find me on both Instagram and TikTok as at CEO. And the show itself you can find on Twitter at 4-8-Minutes-of-Dogs-Barking. You can shoot us an email, 4-8-Minutes-of-Dogs-Barking at gmail.com and support the show via Patreon, patreon.com slash 4-8-Minutes-of-Dogs. Brian. If I were a junior G-man looking to make my bones, where would I find you? Well, I'm easily coerced and <laughs> have no understanding of boundaries. Uh, so you can reach me at ishotgidibord on Instagram and Twitter. That's I-S-H-O-T-G-U-I-D-B-O-R-D. Uh, if you want to take a look at my photos for whatever reason from when <laughs> I was an interesting human being, my portfolio is at uh, assholemusicphotographer.com. I was supposed to. Oh yeah. Supposed to relaunch my little photo blog yeah. and all that, but fucking photo shelter still won't respond to me and give me my fucking API key so I can use their app with the fucking service that I've been using for like 13 years. It's fucking embarrassing. I had I had four days off over yeah. both holiday weekends mm. and have gotten no. It was like the one thing I wanted to accomplish in those eight days was like get the site going. Right. And like nothing and uh very disappointing so that's my thursday night rant yep. uh Bo shelter you're on you're on, you're on fucking notice. notice that's right fuck them uh, <laughs> so it would have been a music photographer.com is that right yeah it would have been yeah. a music and i'm so i'm so annoyed. it may eventually be that but yeah we'll we'll have to we'll have to get that sorted but in the meantime if you have questions comments complaints recipes for soup or anything else that you want to give us oh, a shout soup. about 314-246-9766 that spells out 314 ahoy poo that's right 314-246-9766 if you want to get a hold of us in the fastest and most expedient manner that's probably the way to go. We also we we have the ability to get a text at that as well if you yeah. don't feel comfortable. So if you want to send us photos of your feet, yep, photos of your feet with a smiley <clears throat> face on them, right, <laughs> <laughs> and so on and so forth. Yes, yes. Uh, so that has been uh, the show for this week. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Uh, big fan of uh, all of you who hang out and and just chill with us on any given Wednesday morning. Yes, thank you. What do you what do you feel like listening to this week, Brian? Ah, oh, jeez. You know what? I've been listening to Archers of Loaf lately. Okay. So uh, let's do a little bit of Archers of Loaf. Let's How do you do, feel uh, about... Um, not Harness and Slums, because everyone... Web in Front. There we go. Ooh, ah, my favorite Archers of Loaf song. Because yeah. Archers of Loaf, they'll be here on the 14th. I'm hoping to get a photo pass for that. I, I I feel like 
by saying I hope I get a faux pass for that here on the show means <laughs> I will not get a faux pass. I'm putting all the luck, luck out into the universe for yes, you, buddy. Thank you. Thank uh, you. So, yes, Web in Front from Archers of Love from way back in the 90s. This uh, I first heard this song, uh, oddly enough, on the soundtrack to uh, Mall Rats. <laughs> oh, shit. It was on Mall Rats. <laughs> not a bad tune, and, and what a great way to find a, a what, great band. What a great so. band that uh, people forgot about for most of the last 20 years. But, I you know, know, I kept the flame going. Amen to that. Well, uh, thank you so much for hanging out with us, like we said. And as we always say at this time, namaste and good luck. Bye-bye. Bye. Stuck a pin in your backbone. Spoke it down from there.